0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We are in postseason mode on this edition of the podcast, ESPN's Linda Cohn will join me to talk about the NHL Stanley Cup Playoff Conference Finals and particularly her New York Rangers facing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Final. First, though, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals. We have an unlikely matchup featuring the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics that tips off on Thursday and to talk about that is the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and the pride of Guildland in New York, Mark Kessiser. Mark, welcome back to the podcast. Sort of become a, a tradition here like no other. We talk uh, every, every finals at this point.
1: It is. I'm usually traveling somewhere, as I am today, and uh, I fully expect to see Ken Shot appear on my cell phone. I don't have a cool sounder like, you know, Linda Cohn has for all those years at ESPN, but that's okay. I've got you the day before the finals is always appreciated.
0: Well, let's talk about this. I do appreciate it. I know you've been traveling from Miami. It's kind of, you know, you're in Chicago right now, on a layover. But uh, as I said, I mean, the, these two teams in the, in the finals were not the top seeds in their conference. Uh, you know, Golden State, let's start with them first of all. They're coming off, you know, they were in a nice run there. Then injuries and, you know, they've affected their pro- team. And now they're back in, in – uh, what would you say, better than ever, as uh, Mike Greenberg would like to say?
1: You know, it's interesting because they are back and they're different. They still have the core. You know, they still have Steph and Clay and Draymond, but they brought Andrew Wiggins over in a trade, um, which was out to be a huge trade that came with draft picks. Uh, they did well drafting. Jordan Poole has turned himself into a, a legit six man off the bench in only his third year. And what they still do, what they did even in those heyday years, you know, from 15 to 19 going to five straight finals is you think it's all about their offense, but the cornerstone of that team is defense and they play terrific D. Draymond obviously, you know, leads that back line and sends everybody uh, in the right direction. Uh, But I think when you look at this season, the way it has unfolded, uh, the timing could not be better for Golden State because, at least in my estimation, having covered the Western Conference Finals the last couple of weeks, is the offense is playing at its best at any point in the season right now. There's so much belief. Um, Steve Kerr had to go to depth because they lost Gary Payton II in the Memphis series, and he's really shown himself to be a terrific defender. Uh, Otto Porter went out with a foot injury. With a couple games to go in the Western Conference Finals, he was a great a reliable defender and three point shooter, and Andre Iguodala didn't play at all. And we'll see what their health is moving into this series. But it, it, it appears to me that this has been the best for Golden State Warriors how they played all year. Right now, going up against Boston, and that bodes very well for them.
0: I mean, if they win this championship, I mean, is this the coronation of their greatness? Over, I mean, this dynasty they you know it seemed like it was done, but now it's sort of risen from the grave.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, Ken, because you look at three championships in five years, and you would feel like it should have been stamped, and maybe it wasn't because of Durant going down in 2019 and Clay Thompson, you know, going down at the very end in Game Six of that series, and they lose to Toronto, and they're kind of in the abyss, and then Steph Curry gets injured right at the start of the next season, and so it feels like it it was unfinished, and then you have the, the Kevin Durant factor, how he came those two titles in 17 and 18 and a lot of people either put an asterisk there or just disregard it because they were the super of super teams that maybe it doesn't count as an official stamp so in a long-winded way I think yes that you know they've come back from the abyss and if they win here even though it's four championships and you're like well why would we even discount three championships in a five-year stretch but maybe you were right maybe it indeed puts a stamp on a dynasty that looked like it was in shambles and crumbles and Burning embers and was just about done.
0: What does that say about Steve Kerr? I mean, he came into a great situation there at the Warriors, winning the championship in his first year in 2015. I mean, he he, he could have probably stepped away after the last couple of years, but he, he seemed just determined to stay with this. And yeah, you know, I mean, is he one of the great coaches of of this? Of the, I'm going say of the I mean, of this era. I would say not, not not of all time, but I mean of this era.
1: I think so. Um, you know, obviously, he came into a great situation, as you mentioned. Uh, our Mark Jackson was at the helm when those players were young and just selected the Currys and the Draymonds and the Clays, and, and then Steve took it to the next level. Um, I think it is a testament to his patience, and he's also had his own health issues that have made it, you know, difficult in the previous years. He had the back surgery that didn't go very well, and so you have all this kind of coming together. And and I say patience because he's had to deal with different iterations and lineups with all the injuries to wait for Steph Curry to come back and then two and a half years without Clay and then figure out, you know, what he had from his young guys. Um, you know, Andrew Wiggins was an interesting – we don't talk much about him, and, and I agree with Steve when he says that trade may be the whole – kind of key to this resurgence here. And, you know, Steve's ability to say, okay, we got a first round pick coming, a number one overall guy who, you know, never really flourished in Minnesota. And, you know, how do we make him work for what we need? And for the way Steve has, you know, molded players like Andrew and others to kind of thrive in their role or accept, you know, position as a role player, um, you know, with this franchise. I think a lot of that goes to him Um, and yes, I would agree, uh, you know, to make it through these last couple of years and then potentially, you know, even if they don't win it and they end up, you know, just Western conference finals champs, um, you know, they're kind of set up a little bit, even in the tough West, you know, the Curry's, the, the Clay's, the Draymond's they're in their early thirties, but they're still in their prime years. And then Steve has done a nice job of getting the younger guys up to speed um, and they've actually got some guys, you know, that are coming up now, the Jonathan Kamingas and the Moses Moody's, who are the Great Warriors. I don't want to say the Great Warriors, but <laughs> are going to be outstanding players potentially in the years to come. So they're kind of set up, and a lot of that, you know, should uh, should reflect well on Steve Kerr and what he's done in his eight years at Oakland and now San Francisco.
0: Steve Kerr, the basketball coach, great guy, great coach. Steve Kerr, the humanitarian, is just an awesome. I think to me is awesome. The passion. Sp- Speech he gave uh, after the Texas shootings, the anger in him. I mean, this is this guy. You know, he lost his father who was assassinated in in Beirut back when he was in college. What does it say that Steve Kerr has this passion for what's going on, what, even beyond what's going on in basketball?
1: He is an amazing guy to be around, and I don't, you do know, want to say like we're friends, but we've been at dinners together, you know, with. Jake Marlissimo, my broadcast partner, he and Steve go way, way back. And so, you know, I've been fortunate to be invited on some of those outings and then the different uh, coaches meetings we've had over the years, or I think I ran into him a couple times in Las Vegas at the summer league. And the thing you notice is not only is the truth that, you know, he'll always speak. He doesn't, you know, sugarcoat it or worry that you're going to use it against him. You know, talk to another coach with his plans, whatever. Um, the ease with which, you know, he deals with other people. And then, and then you could see, um, you know, uh, the sympathy and the empathy he'll have for others. And I think you're right. It, it dates back you know, to the tragedy with his dad that, you know, would shatter any family, especially his and being a, I think he was a freshman at Arizona. So he's half a world away when all that's going on. And, you know, he's just such a smart guy, was an outstanding role player. Um, you know, was I, I? enjoyed him as a broadcaster when he was on TNT, and then you know was an executive with a franchise, and now here he is. You know, as you as you point out, I think accurately, he's going to be uh, one of the best coaches of this era. He just, you know, he just gets it. And we were supposed to interview Steve probably about ten minutes after that press conference in Dallas on uh, on the night, the day that everything went down in Abilene, Texas, and. I remember I wasn't back there, but I was paying attention online, and I told my producer, I said, I don't think we're going to be talking to Steve tonight because, A, he's not going to want to talk about basketball, and, B, I can't even imagine he's going to be able to put it together emotionally in the next 10 minutes. Um, you know, I, I was watching him come out on the floor during the pregame introductions before Game 4, and it was as solemn and as slow as a walk as i would ever watched him do, head down, reflecting already, And then he got into the game in game four, which eventually they lost. But, um, yeah, he is, uh, he is passionate. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And I think, um, all that put together, you know, makes quite a quality human.
0: Let's talk about the Boston Celtics. Here's a team I think maybe, I think catch, caused the people by surprise me. They, Brad Stevens moved, uh, from the coaching, uh, round to upstairs and, uh, I, if I, I mispronounced uh, Ime uh, Uduka's name, I apologize. But I mean, the Celtics got off to a rough start this season, and uh, it looked like there could be some trouble there. But they righted the ship, and then uh, took advantage of s- some situations. And yeah, you know, they had a, they lost a game six at home to Miami in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, looked bleak. But then they go down to Miami and pull out the game seven win. What is it about the Celtics team that makes them special?
1: And you nailed it, by the way. Ime Udoka, very well uh, pronounced by you. And uh, he's been around the league. And um, I think I would consider him part of the Greg Popovich San Antonio tree, if not from a coaching standpoint, but certainly he played for Pop. You know, he was on the Brooklyn Nets uh, coaching staff, the first coaching staff for Steve Nash last year and always has the respect of the players. And that's the thing when you look at the totality of their season to this point was. You know, they were not good the first two months of the season. And I don't know if that's the players. I don't know if that was the new coaching staff. Whatever it was, they made an adjustment. Um, They bought in to his defensive principles. Um, One of those check the ego at the door thing, you know, who's the lead scorer, who's the number two scorer, whatever. And they started to have a little bit of success. And I think from that point, which snowballed from, you know, sub five hundred at their midway point to ending up as the two seed in the in the East. There was a real trust for Eme. There was a buy in um, as a former player, he doesn't get I mean, he is the perfect coach when there are highs and lows because he is medium all the way. You can't tell the difference between when they lost, when they won, he's as smooth as it gets and they trust him. And you know that was huge. I saw Brad Stevens the other night in Miami before Game Seven, and just kind of joked with him. You know, like, hey, if you picked the season the leave, you picked a heck of a successor because you know this guy gets it. Uh, for a guy who was way off the radar when you were looking, you know, at a big market coaching job. So I think the buy-in was huge, and it's still huge. They trust E-May, uh right to the end, and he always is prepared as he is going into these championship series.
0: How balanced are the Celtics?
1: I think they're probably more balanced than Golden State, right? I mean, they have plenty of options offensively that they can go to, although, you know, maybe not the most gifted offensive team, but defensively is where you really see a balance. When they're fully healthy, to me, that was the best defensive team I saw this year. The end of the season before Robert Williams hurt his knee, they could cover end-to-end. They could switch everything, which is the rage in the NBA right now, Um, you know, and they've got gifted offensive players, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, even to a degree, you know, some of his shot making decisions can come into question, but, uh, you know, he backs it up on the defensive end and he gets his guys involved. Um, That's what I think we've ended up with here. You know, as you said at the start of our conversation was that it was an unlikely series. We all expected Phoenix to be here. They dominated the last five minutes of any game, whether they were in front or just behind. And I I think I personally expected the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought they were rounding into form, and we would be looking at a repeat from last year, Phoenix versus Milwaukee. But, you know, in the end, I think you got the two most balanced teams. And we'll see if you know Boston can get back to full health. I think Golden State is there, and uh, we'll see if we can get ourselves a good series, which we largely haven't had for the last two rounds.
0: Yeah, the NBA playoffs. There's been a lot of complaints you now, obviously, social media that the NBA playoffs this year have not been as exciting. Uh, I mean, they have, they have, what we're seeing in the NHL lately, especially with what we saw Tuesday night with Edmonton and uh, Colorado scoring a combined 14 goals. I mean, our teams. To me, uh, watching these games, they're relying too much on three-point shots anymore. I mean, there's nobody's driving inside, and I mean, you don't see that dominating center like you. You, you mean maybe Giannis is out there, and uh, Joel and Embiid. You know, but Embiid's more of a guy who likes to take outside jump shots. I mean, have have we gotten away from playing inside and you know, fast breaks and any of that stuff?
1: No, we have, and even on fast breaks, guys are pulling up for three or they're you know sprinting to corners waiting for a pass to shoot a three um, and i think that's probably been you know with everyone i've talked to you know coaches and players alike i've always asked like why are these games you know not only not close but you know one day boston's winning by 26 and the next day miami's winning by 26 and and the common answer is who's hitting their three point shots that night and okay. you know that's that's what it's become and and maybe i have some hope because golden state as much as we think of you know Steph Curry shooting 30 footers and Klay Thompson hitting from outside I mean they crushed Dallas in the paint they crushed him because of the ability to shoot that far you can spread out a defense and then if you work it the way the Warriors do which is incredibly high IQ you end up with you know Kevon Looney and Andrew Wiggins with easy shots down low if not dunks and layups and and so I think that's what we have from Golden State. And I think Boston, to some end, you know, can play in that same vein too if they, you know, get too caught up shooting the three ball. But um, I think you're right. I think that's been one of the problems for these last two rounds. And uh, I don't know any other way to describe it because everybody else is trying to put their finger on it is perhaps it is too much of a reliant on three-point shooting, which has become all the rage, ironically, um well, you could, you could blame the Houston Rockets, but still, you know, Steph Curry making it look so easy. Mm-hmm. And three is better than two in analytics in basketball. As, you know, you see teams routinely shooting 40, 45, 50 three-point attempts per game.
0: What drives me nuts in watch, watching these games is a guy's wide open, has the ball, and beyond the three-point arc, alone, nobody's, and nobody goes out there <laughs> to put a hand in his face. I was like, what? what get a hand in his face for crying out loud. I mean, they're, they're, they're just... I mean, it's just, that's not the basketball I was raised on where you Dr. J and uh, Larry Bird and uh, Magic. I mean, geez, I mean, it just drives me nuts.
1: Even, even worse, Ken, is, you know, when you're, you're making like three, four, five passes in a possession, which is great basketball, you know, when you can move the defense side to side, and you get a guy who drives through the lane and it looks like he's five feet from the rim mm-hmm. and he could just extend the arm and go for a layup, but he found the open guy in the corner and passes it out, and you're like, why don't you just take the shot? Or and, be, you know, you see that far too often.
0: Or be just Ben Simmons and give up an easy dunk to pass off. But that's another story.
1: I was going to say, <laughs> I, I might have gotten a little too close uh, to a sore spot there with that.
0: <laughs> Kevin Hurd played that well. No, it's, uh, no, 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 I'm not going there. Anyway, <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of bad Sixers, uh, ex-Sixer Al Horford, who had a brief, you know, didn't have a great uh, stay in Philadelphia after leaving the Celtics as a free agent, has really found his game and... For the first time after 141 postseason games, he's finally going to get to play in the NBA Finals. How good do you feel for him?
1: Man, you feel great for him. He's such a nice guy, too. Really, has had a great career. And I thought, like you said, I thought he was done two, three years ago. I mean, he was just lost in Philly. And then you end up at Oklahoma City, which is, you know, banking like 27 first-round picks in the next five years. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, basically was told not to even show up. There's no reason to even show up, you know, and you figure that's the last you hear of him. And then he ends up in the offseason, you know, a transaction wire, and you see that he's going to Boston. You're like, oh, this can't be good. I mean, you know, the Celtics are changing coaches. They haven't really altered their team too much. Um, Marcus Smart's going to be the point guard this year full-time, and they bring Al Horford back, and you're like, all right, th- this seems a little bit lost, and uh, everybody was wrong because it has all worked out in that direction horford maybe by virtue of you know not playing a whole heck of a lot the last year or so has incredibly fresh legs looks very spry for his age and is playing some of his best basketball and with Robert Williams you know being injured and forcing him to play more big minutes inside uh, he's been terrific and of course can also shoot the three ball which Always makes it difficult to defend. So incredibly happy for Al that he finally gets to be on this big stage after all these years.
0: The Warriors won this series how?
1: I think the key is going to be how well they execute against Austin's defense. Because I thought, as I said earlier, that was that was the key to the turnaround. And it was at its best right before Williams got hurt. And he probably came back too quick. He was very ineffective in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. So I don't know how that bodes for the finals. But if, if that Boston defense can't hold up against the Golden State attack, again, their offensive efficiency has been number one in the playoffs, um, that's going to be trouble for Boston because they stretch defenses and you pick your poison. You know, you're going to come out and defend. And they're going to shoot three-pointers. Or are they going to move it side to side and cut through the paint to your death when you can't keep track of them? And next thing you know, Steph Curry's hitting a relocated three, or the fourth option, Andrew Wiggins is wide open for an easy shot. So I think to me, that's going to end up being what decides this: is just how good and healthy the Celtic defense is against Golden State.
0: So the Celtics, we just basically, if they steal a game in San Francisco, you think that that helps?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They get one out there and it's a whole different series. I'm just interested to see the, the competition factor. Uh, if, if, uh, going to seven games, not getting enough rest, flying 3000 miles across, um, look, we saw it last year. Milwaukee was down 0-2, heading home and one. So losing two in San Francisco wouldn't, you know, crush the series, how they lose those two games. Maybe that would be more of a, a telling clue, but, yeah, if they get one of those, it, it is game on.
0: Well, I'm glad I'm glad they went back to the 2-2-1-1-1 format. I, I like that format a lot better than the 2-3-2 they used to do back in the day. My frequent flyer miles like that, too, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kesty, appreciate a few minutes. Enjoy the uh, series and uh, have a lot of fun with it. And, uh, you know, we'll be listening on the ESPN Radio.
1: And I'm going to be penciling in June 1st of 2023, all right? You got that. I got you. <laughs>
0: Mark, you too, kid. All right, thanks. That's Mark Henderson. We'll talk the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs with ESPN's Linda Cohn next here on the Parting Shots podcast. There are no words to describe it: the isolation, the boredom, the loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult. But school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again.
1: Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. What's going on, everybody? My name is Freddie Coleman, host of ESPN Radio's Freddie and Fitzsimmons. And you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. You know my next guest as a Sports Center anchor on ESPN. She is the host of the In the Crease Show on ESPN Plus, and she is very excited that her New York Rangers are in the NHL Stanley Cup Eastern Conference Final against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Please welcome back to the podcast Linda Cohn. Linda, welcome back. I appreciate you coming on.
2: Hey, Ken. Always a pleasure to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I appreciate it. So, how
0: excited are you with these Rangers?
2: Uh, I'm really excited. I'm all in. And as you know, I'm no fraud. I've been a New York Ranger fan <laughs> since I was a little girl. It's not. I'm not someone that just jumps on a bandwagon. If this team does good things in a postseason, so um, I. I was always uh cautiously optimistic with this group they're playing better and better as the playoffs go along um i was one of the few that picked them to win and beat carolina in 7 i knew they could beat pittsburgh i didn't think they were going to fall down 3 games to 1 in that series uh but um i believed in them that they could beat carolina and they have uh made me and a couple of others a genius and and guess what ken um, a lot of things have to go right. There are a lot of intangibles here, but I'm never saying never. I mean, I, I think the Rangers can win this series against the two time defending Stanley Cup champs. They have to get it to a seventh game. If they do, Rangers got this. Yeah. I mean, but you got to give Tampa
0: all the credit in the world. I mean, this is a team that has won two straight Stanley Cups and just. Different ways with the obviously one winning one in the bubble and winning one in a shortened season last year because of all the COVID situation. I mean, they lost some key personnel, but they mean they when they when they beat Florida in the game two uh, late in that I saw that series was over with, and this is this is a Tampa Bay Lightning team. I think he, it may maybe an unfair comparison, but I think you look at these them as sort of the Islanders of this generation. You know, the Islanders won four straight Stanley Cups in the 1980s, but. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, John Cooper. I was chatting with someone uh, the the other day about John Cooper, and he, he guy credit uh, John Cooper I means not not just the goaltending. John Cooper has just done an amazing job with this team.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, um, I, 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 I've run out of words to describe what the Lightning have accomplished. Uh, that organization has done everything right, and you're right, Ken. I mean listen if the Rangers do lose to Tampa uh, it doesn't matter if they're swept five games six games seven games uh there's nothing to hang their heads about there's nothing to be ashamed about you know I've had multiple conversations with Steven Samkos throughout the year and this team has been on this mission to win three straight to be the first team since those New York Islanders teams to win three Stanley Cups in a row that's very important to them. They're not suddenly going to forget their goal just because they're playing the New York Rangers. Um, the thing that the Rangers can hang their hat on is that they really matched up well in the regular season. I know the regular season doesn't matter. I mean, just ask Carolina. Uh, so, you know, but the Rangers would go 3-0 and against Andre Vasileski and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes, the Lightning are stacked with talent. Um, the Rangers, for them to make this a series... They have to play better defensively. If there is an Achilles heel with this Rangers team, is that they allow too many shots on goal Mm -hmm. on Igor Shosturkin. And that's going to catch up with you because uh, guys like Corey Perry, guys like you know, the, the, those kind of guys on the Lightning, right? You know, we, we have to, all, Ranger fans have to worry about Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, all, you know, Victor Hedman, you know, but it's those guys in front of the net. And unless guys like, you know, former Lightning Barclay Goodrow stands out or Ryan Reeves or Jacob Truba, we need one of his timely hits. I mean, that's what I'm going to be looking for, for the Rangers to set the tone, if not, it might indeed be a quick series, and the Lightning may be on their way to another Stanley Cup final.
0: Let's go back to the Pittsburgh series and Igor Shastursky. He looked lost in games three and four of that series. I mean, it just looked like the Rangers were done at that point. What do you think turned it around for him?
2: Well, Benoit Allaire turned it around for him. The amazing goalie coach for the New York Rangers for years and years and years. And it was sort of like, you know, being a former goalie, of course, not at that level. But it's always between the ears when you see a goaltender who has all the talent in the world let up bad goals. And so that's what Shosturkin did in Pittsburgh. He wasn't used to the the, the stupid champs Penguins fans did of Igor, Igor, you know, not you know, and it really threw him. And then he just kind of let that stage you know, he realized what stage he was on. And honestly, was, I know he had like a blink of an eye appearance in a previous postseason, but that didn't count. I mean, this is different with fans and and, and, and Pittsburgh, and it's a tough place to win. So Benoit Lair just told him when he heard those derisive chants of his name, just basically say to yourself, okay, like, that's my name. Okay. And he was like, he kept it so simple and that's what Shesterkin did. And with the help of his teammates, he helped turn things around. And, uh, yeah, I hate when, like, the you know, people keep bringing that back. I mean, it's just, it was two blips on his radar. He's been lights out ever since. He's kept the Rangers in games. He kept the Rangers ahead of games. Uh, he's just been fantastic. If the uh, Rangers lose this series to the Lightning, obviously it's not going to be because of Igor Shesterkin.
0: The Rangers really weren't expected to do much this year. I mean, Gerard Gallant comes in and does an amazing job, which leads me to the question: What were the Florida Panthers and Vegas Golden Knights thinking when they fired Gerard Gallant?
2: Yeah, I don't know, Ken. I mean, I'm a big—I've been a big fan of Gerard Gallant for years, and um, just because he sort of have—he's sort of like a controlled John Tortorella, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean. He tells it like it is. He doesn't hold anything back from his players. And he'll rip them if necessary. And the two times he totally ripped them publicly, he doesn't say much to them personally. He doesn't have a big rah-rah negative or positive speeches in dressing rooms. No, he does his speaking through the media, Gerard Gallant does. And so earlier in the series, you know, in the Pittsburgh series... He called his team that they're, they're playing soft. And then in the Carolina series, uh, when they went down uh, two games to none, he said his team looked tired. So that those words resonated. And I don't know what those other two franchises were thinking, but whatever. It's all about the fact that Chris Jury and Company hired Gerard Gallant And uh, he's been a difference maker, and he knows when to, you know, shake up the lines. He knew when to break up the kid line. He knew when to, you know, make other moves. And, and, you know, everything he's doing is great and very – I'm not surprised. I'm a big fan of this guy. And, you know, we can't forget what he did in the one year with the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, taking that expansion team uh, and bringing out the best in certain players, you know, William Carlson hasn't been the same since Gerard Gallant became an ex Vegas Golden Knight head coach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's truly amazing what he does uh, with certain players, bringing out their best. And I can see that with several New York Rangers because of his coaching tutelage.
0: Well, as a Philadelphia Flyers fan, I just watch this team with envy and it's like, why can't my Flyers, my Flyers become? I've been a you know Philadelphia Philadelphia native, Philadelphia Flyers fan all my life. Saw two Stanley Cups and. To me, this, seeing that organization the way it is now, so basically ignored in, in my town, and I see what the Rangers have done, I just like, uh man, I just like, it kills me.
2: <laughs> I know, I don't blame you, but you know what? The roles would be reversed if I saw the Flyers doing what the Rangers were doing, I'd go crazy too. But. You know, it's always about scouting. It's always about organization first. And, and you know, people not the ownership, but the ownership has allowed, made those changes, got rid of Jeff Gorton, got rid of, you know, one of the nicest guys in the world, John Davidson, hired Chris Jury. People are like, what? Wait, huh? You know, yeah. but look what has happened because Jury has fine-tuned what Gorton uh, started with a lot of these players and just uh i think that's where you have to start and uh maybe someday ken your flyers will do well
0: well hopefully i'm not i'm not counting on it though but no and my phillies that's another story there but uh anyway what well, talk about i'm with adam fox i had a chance to see him play at harvard when i covered covered union uh when he was playing at harvard what what does he mean to this team
2: he means everything. You know, people talk about Cale McCarr with good reason, with a Colorado avalanche. Cale McCarr sets the tone for his team. Such a young player, you forget that he's such a young player because he is just uh, remarkable. I've seen that in Adam Fox. We saw it last year when he won the Norris. We've seen it again this year. He's got the second-most point, playoff points. Uh, next is uh, Mika Zimbanajad as we speak, Ken. Um He just is so confident. He's calm in crucial situations. He'll block shots. Boy, he made a play in Game 7 against Carolina where he just – it would have been an easy goal. There was a pass across the ice. He laid his stick down the right time, blocked that pass. It was something – you know, the announcers didn't even make a big deal about it, but it was a big deal. He just never stops. Um, so it's really interesting for a young player, he plays like a veteran. Now, he's going to be totally tested. I mean, this, this defense, is, you know, and another, the guy he plays with has totally showed me what he's all about. I never thought Ryan Lindgren would be, I'm knocking on wood as I say it, but, I, you know, the Ryan Lindgren has become the warrior, the battler and the perfect defensive partner that I've seen so far for the Rangers. I mean, he allows Adam Fox to be Adam Fox. Lindgren just keeps coming back. You know, Lindgren, he's like the poster boy for this year's New York Rangers because every time he gets hurt, he comes back. He's Next thing you know, he's back on the bench, and you think, uh-oh, he's limping off the ice. Rangers don't quit. Rangers are resilient, and that's why, you know, led by guys like Adam Fox. And if you notice, if you look at mention the point totals, it's the big boys stepping up here. Yes, Philip Hedel, amazing contributions in the last couple of playoff games, but it's been the big boys scoring the big goals led by Mika and Banijad, who's totally, as we speak right now, obviously is in the Con Smythe conversation. I know it's early, but the guy has taken his game to extraordinary levels. Let me tell you another guy that I've been impressed with that I never, I was, I was ready to trade him for JT Miller at the trade deadline uh, uh, Alexei Lafreniere. Um, he is doing all those little things that you need in the postseason. And he's not frightened by this big stage of the playoffs. You know, I I, I am so impressed. I mean, the two guys that I'm most impressed with that I didn't see coming was Ryan Lindgren and Alexei Lafreniere so far.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, the big stage coming up uh, as we speak right now. Game one is Wednesday night. Uh, How... Important is it for the Rangers not to be intimidated by this big stage, going up against the defending two-time defending Stanley Cup champions.
2: Yeah, to be honest, Ken, I I don't feel pretty. I don't feel confident in the Rangers tonight, Game One, Wednesday, only because the rest. I think it's going to work for the Lightning's advantage. It seems like they haven't played in three months. Um, But uh, the rest will help those veterans on the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's not their first rodeo. I think the Lightning could kind of come out flying and try to set the tone. This game might not be close. I think it's really hard when you play a seven-game series. Uh, You know, it was different with Carolina because both those teams, the Rangers and Carolina, were coming off a seven-game series in the first round. Now you're coming off a uh, seven-game series. If you're the Rangers, you're playing a well-rested veteran, two-time defending Stanley Cup champ, Tampa Bay Lightning. Sure, it's at home. But I don't. I, I, this would be a tough game to win for the Rangers because of just emotionally draining, tired. Um, it's tough. And plus, you're playing a totally different team, a totally different roster, a totally different skill set. That's a lot to ask for a New York Ranger team. I mean, Igor might stand on his head and stop fifty shots tonight. It still might not be enough, and the Lightning might win three to one with an empty net goal. It's just going to be a tough game tonight, Game One to win for the Rangers.
0: I mean, we I mean, mentioned you mentioned the fact that they did sweep the Rangers did sweep the series, but. Does that really? I recall back in—I'll use an example. 1983 at the Phillies, they lost. They were 1-11 against the Dodgers in the regular season, but then they faced off in the NLCS, and the Phillies won that series in four. So, does it does regular season mean that much?
2: No, because I kind of alluded that earlier with Carolina dominating the Rangers in the regular season and the Rangers are the ones walking with skating away smiling, taking out Carolina. So it doesn't mean a lot, but perhaps I'm sure that's, kind of being mentioned at least when they can refer to video and see um it it's hey listen it's more positive than negative right yep. I mean I'd rather be 3-0 and in the regular season than 0-3 against the team I'm facing in the conference final and these guys are not morons they know it's a different game uh they know they'll have different looks to defend but um it should be interesting I'm just I'm I'm anxious to see um, and uh, how the how the Rangers' energy level will be? Maybe it'll be maybe they'll be carried still by adrenaline. You know, they have to realize they're playing with house money, Ken. Yeah. Nobody expects them to win this series at all. You know, and and all the pressures on the Lightning. If they realize that and just go out there and have fun, I think they'll be fine.
0: Will we see 14 goals total in this of this series, <laughs> as
2: opposed to what we saw Tuesday night between
0: Colorado and Edmonton? <laughs>
2: No, that's crazy. I mean, get ready for that, the entire Western Conference final. I mean, I knew that going in. I still think this that final's going seven. I picked Colorado in seven uh, before the series started. You know, I'm not big fans of the two netminders. That's if Darcy Kemper can come back from his upper body injury. Yeah. Um, I actually thought, even though he let him th- three goals, I thought Pavel François played very well, making big saves down the stretch to preserve that <laughs> victory for Colorado. Um I have. I've just. I just have no faith in Mike Smith. And you know, Miko Koskinen played well in relief for the first time. Um, and if I'm if I'm Jay Woodcroft, the Edmonton Oils coach, I'm starting Miko Koskinen. I'm. I'm sorry. I know he might go back to the well for Mike Smith, thinking he'll rebound. And I'll, I probably won't be surprised if he does that. But you're every game. Not only because we're talking about highly skilled offensive players like Nathan McKinnon, Leon Draisaitl, Connor McDavid, the list goes on and on and on and on with these two teams, but the fact that the goaltending is not the goaltending you're going to see involving the two best goalies in the National Hockey League in Andre Vasilevsky and Igor Shostakovich.
0: Well, I remember, though, in the series with Calgary, Edmonton yeah, Smith got pulled in that first game, that 9-7 game, and he came back with them in Game 2, and they ended up winning the series. So maybe, maybe, maybe the Oilers have the avalanche right where they want them.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's why I think Jay Woodcroft is going to come back with Mike Smith. He deserves that, gives him another opportunity. Um, I'd be shocked if Koskinen uh, gets in to start Game 2, but I think Mike Smith is going to be on a very short leash uh, in Game 2. Um, because obviously it helps the Oilers' chances to win one in Colorado. But if I'm the Oilers and I heard Jay Woodcroft in the postgame, he was like, we scored six goals on their two goalies. I mean, he is pushing that narrative saying their goalies suck. We can score on whoever they put in the net. I found that interesting. So get ready for the high-end explosive scoring to continue in that Western Conference final.
0: And that's fun. It feels like the 1980s all over again with with Edmonton and all that stuff. That's great stuff. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How's the first year of the NHL on ESPN been this year? Did you guys have a lot of fun with it?
2: um listen i i stay in my lane do what i'm told to do but uh, i know most of the people my colleagues are having a blast i mean it's far from perfect Uh, nobody expected it to be a perfect situation but i'm just glad uh it's back what i find um the best part for me is that the casual sports fan who are are you know going to sitting on their couch turning on ESPN, not hockey fans. They turn it on, they're like, what's this? And not everyone is going to love it. Not everyone is going to give the game a chance, those who don't watch hockey. But there are more and more people giving the game a chance, giving the NHL a chance, because it's on ESPN. And also on TNT, by the way. But it's yeah. ESPN is always on everywhere. Airports, you know, bars, restaurants, you know, everybody's home. So that is what I love best about, about having the NHL back on ESPN, which is something, you know, I was one of the people that, you know, obviously left the light on, um, hoping that it would happen. And so of course, it's very satisfying to see that anything that can bring in new hockey fans is a win in my mind.
0: And being able to stream all the games on ESPN Plus, I, mean, I got to watch my disaster of a Flyers team a lot, and so, uh, so and that was right. I think the one great thing about that, just being you know, you know what six ninety nine a month for ESPN Plus and uh, be able. I think to- it was
2: even cheaper than that. I think it was cheaper than that actually. cheaper, but it was yeah, like <laughs> I, don't even, I forgot it was so long ago when we were pitching it and <laughs> promoting it, but uh, I think it was like five ninety nine or four ninety nine. Anyway, it was a bargain because people didn't realize. Everything else on ESPN Plus is amazing. Like, I mean, Man in the Arena by Tom Brady. I was so locked into that. I mean, when when that's when it first debuted, now it's in, on Hulu and everything. But it was just so many, a 30 for 30 library. There was so many great things on ESPN Plus and still is. And it's not just the NHL. But for the NHL fan, it was so easy. You know, you can take your screen anywhere and watch your favorite team. Sorry, Ken.
0: That's right. <laughs> Hey, I'm already looking towards the Eagles' seat at this point. So. <laughs> yes, you should. Yeah. You definitely should. Yeah. Well, yes. the other thing, I mean, I, I mean I, with ESPN+, Plus, I get to, you know, with, with covering college hockey, you get to actually watch the ECAC e- 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 Games Union. So I, that's been a, a godsend as well. But I, one thing I want to say, I noticed coming up uh, – in a couple of weeks on ESPN is the documentary about the Avalanche Red Wings rivalry and seeing the trailer. Oh my God, I'm ready to watch this. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about that bitter rivalry back from the nineties. And, uh, this looks like a, like a fun documentary.
2: Yeah. And that's, what's so great about hockey being on ESPN because someone thought of a wonderful idea to do this, to acknowledge it, to give a little history lesson. For people, again, who are not following the game back in the 90s, who didn't know this rivalry existed, and bringing it to an audience that now can really get engaged in this, because if you're a sports fan, it really doesn't matter. I mean, if you're talking a rivalry and, and, a, and a program that is done so well that ESPN Films and ESPN 30 for 30 does, they do this the story, the storytelling, right? They tell the story so well. Um, I too am looking forward to this. I mean, I was, you know, hosting Sports Center back in the day when this rivalry was going on, and uh, it's just tremendous. Yeah, I mean, a trailer does look great. So, yeah, I mean, I think the people that are listening to your podcast are a hockey fans, so they they're going to get into it. But I'm again excited that um, this thing's going to be promoted, and people that don't know this rivalry existed will will be all in once they turn on episode 1 there or when they start watching it yeah.
0: well let's see what happens with this conference finals i mean i'm unfortunately i'm going against your rangers in 7 but i'll of make course let's, you are. let's let's let's, let's i'll, tell you, I'll tell you, make a deal with you here if the lightning loses the rangers win the series come back on we'll talk cup finals
2: uh okay <laughs> i mean, sure i probably would do it anyway <laughs> for you ken but that's okay <laughs>
0: Linda, you are the best. I mean, I've always like it's. I told you uh, last year, and any time I visited ESPN, I happen to run into you. We always had a nice chat, and I always appreciate that. And you are, you are one of the best out there. And I again appreciate a few minutes uh, talking hockey. I always love talking hockey with you, and uh, it's uh, good luck to your Rangers.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Hopefully, you mean that. I know you don't.
0: No, I (laughs) I, I do mean that. I, I trust. I mean. Some hey, they're to... a
2: likable team. They are a likable <laughs> yes, team yes. for the outside, you know, for it is really yeah, it's a it's a nice little story. So yeah, well thanks, Ken. I will I know that comes from your heart. So it does, you're does. you're a better person than me. <laughs> Although I have to say, I I I gotta be full ranger fan disclosure here. I wanted Claude Giroux so badly. I love Claude Giroux. Mm-hmm. I know it didn't turn out great in Florida, but I'm telling you, loved him, love him as a player. Um, you know, that year when you got unbelievable, awful goaltending in the final against Chicago, you could have won a Stanley Cup then. Yeah, yep. If you had a mediocre goalie, let alone a bad goalie. Yeah. Michael Layton, right? Michael I mean, that was, just, that was just a disaster. Brian Boucher. You. So,
0: Brian Boucher would never let that puck in.
2: Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, uh, you know anybody, Brian Elliott, anybody, whoever. You know, you, I, could have, I I could would have not have let it. that puck in. I would not have let that puck in. All right. I would
0: have I would have had my street hockey pads, and I said, "No way, you're not getting that in there."
2: Yeah. So that I'm sure you're still getting over that because that was that was winnable, and that if there is a game in Stanley Cup playoff history, to me, that's all that where a goalie determines the outcome. That was it because the goalie on the other end also was bad, yeah. but not as bad. Right? Yeah.
0: And well, I, I, I'm over that one, but the one I'm still not over <laughs> is, is 1980, at the Islanders. I mean, that's a whole—that's a whole other story for another time.
2: But, yes. Uh, Leon Stickel. Yes. I
0: mean, oh my been.
2: God! I, I tell you, and you know what's crazy? Back then, when I was like really, you know, not objective person. Yeah, I think I—I I, I might have been. Not liking the Islanders more than not liking the Flyers. I mean, I mean it was right two franchises there that Ranger fans couldn't stand at that time. You
0: know? Yeah.
2: Well, anyway. anyway. Memories, can yes,
0: yes, they are. Great, great memories. Linda, again, thank you very much. Uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. All right. I'll, I'll be back to wrap things up and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing contest in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division and school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that
1: unites us than divides us. Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York state public high school athletic association and the New York state athletic administrators association. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette, Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott.
0: Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 14 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is Robert LeClaire of Schenectady. Robert wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Robert. The VIP winner is Jessica Woodruff of Dave's Gourmet Burgers. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click the Auto Racing Contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. And do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Mark Kessiser and Linda Cohn for being on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at dailygazette.com.